precious thing earth has in store. Give all the love in the world. If that's all we have, you will find we need nothing more. And with that, I record the first podcast of the year, the year of our Lord, 2022. And uh, this decade's moving along, folks. (laughs) It's not stopping for nobody. (laughs) But anyway, this is about Bond. I'm going to go into Bond. This is on Her Majesty's Secret Service, man. So this was, I like this because this is where we go. This is where we go a little bit wonky. We get a little bit, uh, we jump off the track, off the Connery track, and we go into George Lazenby, Lazenby uh, country. And this, this entry is definitely different. And ultimately, I think it's good. I think it's good for the series because... You kind of want, I, I, I kind of like the more bonds that you can, you can portray, uh, the more nuances you can add to the character and the more different takes on it. And this is where bond, it, it just starts to become more than the actor playing the character because all these different characters are playing that character. Um, some ring more true to others for different people, but with Lazenby playing this character, it's more, it's more of his, since we don't, we haven't really seen this as like his first gig, uh, major gig, especially in film. Uh, he kind of gets out of the way. His personality gets out of the way a bit. And you're kind of allowed to see the character more purely, I think, as opposed to the thick ego of uh, performance of of Connery. Not that that's wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that's great. Uh, or... Or uh, a certain suave personality of Roger Moore. Um, he this Lazenby kind of gets out of the way of that and just kind of says the lines without a lot of that, a lot of the, a lot of leaning into it, and you know, you might say, well, it's kind of wooden. It's kind of a wooden performance, and and yeah, I could see that. Uh, but I can also see it as kind of a very, it's just a different take on the character too. Like this is kind of like, he kind of plays it like a straightforward cop in a way. Uh, very more down to earth bond. This one, this guy is, and that's one way to look at it. 
Uh, he's a professional too. He doesn't he doesn't lean into the suaveness like Roger Moore. Um, everything just kind of falls into his lap, you know. This this performance and this you know the first time I saw this guy's Bond, you know it was totally I wasn't watching the the movies in sequence, and I really. Uh, I kind of like that. It was such a neat surprise to to be like, "Holy crud! This is this is James Bond, but it's not Connery or Roger Moore." You know, I, I was just like, "I'm in shock." I'm like, "Is this the only one this guy did?" And that was such a neat experience for me. I think this that was about easily 20 years ago, or maybe more, when I when I saw this for the first time. And there's a great scene. Where he, you know, he's sliding. You know, they they make it to the uh, well, spoilers. Definitely spoilers. Uh, this uh, they, he makes it to the hideout up up there in the mountain there, and he slides on on the ice, and he's shooting. And you got to keep in mind, this is this this is sixty nine, and it is a very action hero kind of move. And I just thought that, I'm like, wow, that's badass. You know, I've never seen that. Never seen Bond do that, especially back in the day like that. And the fightings, the fight sequences, like, he's very fast. He's a very fast puncher in this. And the action scenes are very, I think they're a lot more, a lot more believable because it just, it just really has a, a ferocity and, and, f- quickness to the whole thing um and and like so it's there's that going on for it going on with it the first thing i want to talk about well i already talked about the first thing but second thing i want to talk about is um is the opening scene the opening montage, the musical number. Um, this is the first time we get we get a Bond movie without someone singing the the opening of of the Bond film, and we just we get the awesome the awesome. Uh, I don't know if this is John Barry or not. I don't, it might be a different composer, but. Uh, you know we get that danger music and what they're doing is giving us different parts from the previous movies um kind of like uh like all the different bond girls and stuff and it looked like kind of like an hourglass you know superimposed on an hourglass or something like that but uh there's there's the silhouettes of the girls in it and then they're all posing and it they're all like uh this uh, I wouldn't say it's a theme it's just a, a a plot device in this movie for bond to see uh blofeld is he's like some kind of uh <sighs> historian he plays like he goes in disguise of this historian 
guy and, and he 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 confirms family history because Blofeld wants his family crest or something like that. Like there's something going on with the family crest in this. And and there's uh this is all about you know, that's a cover, you know. And the way the women are, are, are posing, it's like they're like a, a crest, like how they're posing. But the silhouettes, like, um, <laughs> very revealing, <laughs> you know, because they're naked, you know. And you can really see uh, um, they're not, uh, I, I'd say they're, they're not... Um, the girls that are being used are not particularly heavy-breasted women, <laughs> and you could you could put I guess not that there's there's not not a, a, a I'm just saying it's a choice that the that they made the director made take it for what it is <laughs> and you can fairly really see the uh, nippage. <laughs> uh, but man, I just loved how they just didn't give a crap back then. Uh, it's awesome. But <laughs> um, also, the I think there's like helmets and, and swords being on display that the the Bond girls are or the silhouetted girls are showing, and that ties into uh, the most recent Bond movie, uh, No Time to Die's opening. Uh, they tie into. Uh, that that one and this one, and they play some of the music in No Time to Die uh, from this movie, and which was interesting. It was an interesting. It, I liked hearing it in the new movie. That was really cool, especially Hans Zimmer uh, covering that. Even though you know how I feel about the newest Bond movie, uh, I'm still very bitter. It's very bittersweet. You know, I still don't know what to make of it completely because of the ending. But anyway, it was uh, it was it was an interesting beginning to the, the movie. And Telly Savalas plays Blofeld in this. Now they were originally going to have uh, Donald Pleasance back. But the, I think the director felt that he wasn't physical enough for the, the role in this because there's some skiing. But, man, obviously, probably the stuntman's doing a lot of skiing. And when they go to close-ups of Blofeld, it's, you can tell it's done on the stage, like the background and everything. So I don't know if I buy that completely. And I don't think Donald Pleasance was... Really, I don't think he was really out of shape or anything. He didn't seem like he was. I wouldn't say he was an athletic person, but I wouldn't say he was a fat slob. <laughs> I think he's capable of doing some skiing scenes. Uh, I think I, you know, now watching the whole movie, and this is, this is like the second time I've watched it, is that I think... It's because there's a scene with Diana Rigg where he's kind of being seductive a little bit and it's being kind of smooth. 
I think that's probably why they went with Telly Savalas because Telly kind kind of can pull that off and can be a little bit more not so cold and crazy, but a little bit more. Uh, I don't know. I have a bit more of a personal connection with people, I guess, as opposed to Pleasance's uh, portrayal was more cartoonish, um, very black and white, um, uh, maniacal. Uh, well, th- this blow felt more calculated, more smooth. And I, to be honest, I like his take on it. I kind of get why they did that, you know. It's it's kind of neat. It adds a lot more humanity to the character, and um, there's a lot going for this movie. That now, you like once you get past the first twenty thirty minutes, and you're kind of questioning whether this is a good movie or not, or a good Bond or not. It does pick up in the second act and into the third, although it, uh, it, it's just the after the big uh, set piece in the beginning, uh, it, it kind of uh, it slows a little bit, but there's, you know, it, it, there's some, it's some well-shot scenes. There's a really cool action bobsled scene in the climax. There's a lot of neat stuff in this. Like the fighting scenes are good. Um, well, there's not a lot early on uh, until later on. There's some good stunts that you'll see, like with the with the ski lift, which I know they do the ski lift again. They revisit that with one of the bon- uh, Roger Moore bonds later. I just couldn't tell you which one, but. Uh, yeah, it's all kind of still there, the whole formula. Uh, I'll go into the trivia on IMDb, and I'll, I'll kind of go over some of it and see what else jumps out about it. Let's see. George Lazenby is the youngest actor to portray 007 at age 29 during filming. The rest of the actors and their ages, in no particular order, are Sir Sean Connery, 31, Sir Roger Moore, 45. No wonder Roger Moore looked so old by the time he got to uh, Octopussy. Uh, Timothy Dalton was 40. Pierce Bronson was 41. And Daniel Craig was 38. Um, yeah, 29. So I think that's kind of a reason why uh, Lazenby doesn't come off uh, very... Uh, heavy in this you know he kind of just lets the he lets the words lets the lets the dialogue kind of speak for itself and then he he smiles and looks you know looks good saying the lines right um let's see oh yeah there's there's this is what i, I like i like this about telly savalas because this is very much like me where Telly didn't like to get up in the morning. (laughs) He was a night owl. And it says here, uh, Poncian George Lazenby um, with with a suitcase full of cash. Telly Savalas invited him to a late night poker game that he regularly held with crew members. 
and promptly relieved Lazenby of having to carry so much extra weight. Upon hearing this, producer Harry Saltzman visited the location, joined the game over Savalas's protest. Joined the game over Savalas's protest and won back Lazenby's money. Wow. He then informed uh, Savalas in no uncertain terms that he was not to victimize his boy, Lazenby, again. <laughs> he's gonna, he's just taking his money on set. Hilarious. Let's see. <laughs> oh, this is interesting. Yeah, George Lazenby suggested a scene where Bond skis off a cliff and opens it opens a parachute. That was scrapped as the filmmakers lacked the resources to pull it off. It was used in the opening for The Spy Who Loved Me, 1977. The year I was born. Spy Who Loved Me is awesome. That's probably one of my favorites, if not my favorite, uh, Roger Moore Bond movie, which we'll get to eventually. Um, but yeah, that, and that's one of the most remembered opening scenes for me. In, in this whole thing, let's see. Um, a lot of skiing in this movie. Uh, a lot of great stunt skiing. A lot of point of view skiing. And I was thinking, wow, the, the guy that's shooting this has to be on skis, going really fast. Um, you know, there's some close-ups, medium close-ups, where they're, you know, you, you could tell it's on a stunt on a stage and everything, but. Um, Skiing is a big part because it, it you know it takes place it takes place in the Swiss Alps a lot of it Switzerland see Blofeld's headquarters headquarters was was partially completed was a partially completed restaurant on top of Mount uh, I'm gonna mutilate this but uh, skill. Either Shil, I was going to say Shilthorn, Shilthorn. Uh, the owners allowed filming on condition that Eon Productions paid $125,000 and made the interior sets as permanent fixtures. Wow, interesting. And construct a helicopter pad. <laughs> so the owners are like, okay, you could shoot here, but you got to pay us $125,000 and make this interior sets permanent fixtures in a oh yeah put it in a helicopter pad this involved 500 tons of concrete being taken up by a helicopter that cost $125,000 at a cost of 125,000 but when the restaurant opened it was given the name uh, Piz Gloria uh, used in the movie the only public access to the restaurant is by cable car from uh Murin to uh, Stetzel, Stetzelberg, Stetzelberg. The Piz Gloria uh, was the first established revolving mountain restaurant in the world. Revolving mountain restaurant. That's awesome. I got to go eat there <laughs> eventually. That's so cool. This is what I was interested in about, too. Uh, why did George Lazenby only do one Bond? 
Uh, and I know Connery was kind of needed to take a break from the character and everything. Uh, and probably was renegotiating um, with the producers and, and about his paycheck probably too. Let's see, there are many reasons why George Lazenby only made one appearance as James Bond. According to the DVD documentary, here are some of the main reasons. Number one, Lazenby's beautiful, or youthful, I'm sorry, Lazenby's youthful cockiness rankled producer Albert R. Broccoli's nerves. One incident mentioned is Lazenby skiing down the slopes on his own, resulting in the, bro in his, in the broken arm and a moment of arrogance on Lazenby's part. That spoiled a cast and crew party. Wow. Two, the notoriously harsh British tabloids writing up unfavorable stories about Lazenby and how he fails to measure up to Sir, Sir Sean Connery, thereby swaying public opinion against the movie before it was released. Yeah. It, you know, Connery is such a big shadow, such, you know... I mean, he, he had all these movies before that this guy. One incident cited by Lazenby was during an interview uh, with a reporter in the com, uh, commissary in which Diana Rigg jokingly yelled from across the room, I'm having garlic for lunch, darling. I hope you are too. This led to an article in which Rigg supposedly hated Lazenby so much that she eats garlic before love scenes. Uh, three, number three, Lazenby believed that the Bond film franchise was over in the wake of more sophisticated movies like The Graduate and Easy Rider, and the tuxedo-clad secret agent was out of touch with the newly liberated 1970s. He mentioned to his agent that he wasn't sure if he wanted to play Bond again, even before this movie was, was released. Wow. The producers heard this and were none too pleased. Lazenby had been offered a seven-movie deal. Wow, I didn't know that. That's crazy. Seven-movie deal. That's gr incredible. I mean, if I was Lazenby, I'm like, yeah, I'm all in. That's fantastic. We're going to go all in seven movies? I'm, I, this is going to be amazing. And had signed a letter of intent to star in Diamonds Are Forever. 1971, he had been paid an initial fee installment, which he later refunded. <laughs> Although, it was nice that he did that, uh, you know. Although some claim this movie was a box office failure, it was in fact a huge hit, recouping more than 10 times its cost and becoming the second highest grossing movie of the year at the worldwide box office. Yeah, I mean, it, it, again, there's some doubtful moments in it where you're, like, you're not sure if this is going to be a good Bond. You know, his opening, you know, there's a fight scene on the beach, um, which is which is fine. Uh, some of the fighting's, I think, a little sped up. But when he says, I'm Bond, James Bond, it's like, well, he doesn't say it like Connery at, at all. And the way he, it's just kind of a, Again, he gets out of the way and lets the dialogue do it as written. He's not leaning into it heavily. In fact, he's the most non-leaning into the character I've ever seen out of all the Bonds. Like, he doesn't put 
barely any panache on that line. Like, he's like, oh, my name's Bond, James Bond. You know, again, maybe intentional, maybe not. But that's just the way his performance came out. Um, let's see. <laughs> this is interesting. The producers originally intended to explain the change of lead actors in this movie by saying that Bond had undergone plastic surgery because his old face was now too well known by foreign spies and terrorists for him to go undercover. But then they decided not to refer to the change at all. I think that was smart. And this hopefully minimized the public attention being paid to George Lazenby's replacing Sir, uh, Sir Sean Connery. However, after the opening action sequence right before the titles, Bond says directly to the camera, this never happened to the uh, this had never happened to the other fellow <laughs> and intentionally co uh, comedic reference to the change in actors yeah huge week i mean huge week huge wink to the camera there and it's like wow that was pretty ballsy to do that i don't know if they should have done it you just kind of go you they kind of get away with it but it's probably because they only do it once in the whole movie. But there are there are callbacks to the other Bond movies. Like there's a scene where he's <clears throat> taking stuff out of his, his desk. And there's a whole bunch of things like props from the other movies. And they, they play the music uh, uh, themes from each movie too briefly. And, uh, <laughs> you know... Again, it's a little cheesy, but it's like, okay, I, I don't mind that. That's fine. A little fan service. Um, one of the things that helps Lazenby is that the, the same actors that are playing, you know, that play M and Money Penny are in this movie. <clears throat> so that helps, helps it feel more like a Bond movie, too. And I'm glad they didn't recast everybody because, again, this is definitely bond canon and they still want you to feel that continuity uh but and they all they're all great i mean it just kind of reminds you it, it it's more than just the main actor playing bond it's a supporting cast that really helps a lot and make this thing believable and familiar um oh yeah uh lazenby ended up using Connery's suit, it seemed like he fit into his suit pretty well, which is amazing. Um, also, Lazenby was an Australian actor, but you can barely tell in this. He hides his accent extremely well. In the interviews I've seen with him, he barely comes off with an Australian accent. Um, also, this being his first, I think, major gig or film gig, he was a he was a salesman before this, a car salesman, and he was doing a some kind of gig where he had something over his shoulder. I'm able to reference that in this, uh, some kind of a British commercial. Uh, oh, this is interesting. Uh, Let's see here. 
featured uh, the only this one featured the only signature gun barrel sequence of all James Bond movies in which Bond drops down to one knee while shooting at the audience. It's also the only version of of the sequence where the descending the descending blood completely erases Bond's image. Where the descending this descending blood completely erases Bond's image, leaving only the red circle. That's pretty neat. I didn't notice that necessarily. Um, Sir Sean Connery later said that he would have preferred to do a Bond movie like this one as opposed to You Only Live Twice. Uh, interesting. The theme we have all the time in the world was the last thing that Louis Armstrong ever recorded. He died two years later. It is also the first theme song in the film franchise not to include the movie's title as part of the lyrics. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Let's see here. I mean, I could read you the trivia all day. <laughs> I really, I'm, I'm really, there's a lot of trivia, like a lot. But I'm just trying to pick out stuff that I like the most. Uh, yeah, it's Diana Rigg. Uh, she's great in this. She's a great Bond girl. She, she doesn't really fight too much because she was in the movie or the, the show The Avengers. As I'm appeal, but she doesn't do too much fighting till towards the end of the movie. And spoilers, she dies at the end of the movie. They get married, and uh, they, you know, she dies at the end of the of the movie. Um, so this is a heavy. It it ends in a in a heavy note, too, like a downer, you know. Um. Because it was interesting, you know, that whole thing um, with Blofeld and the whole chase scene and the toboggan scene the pot, uh, and Bonds after him and the shooting back and forth. And eventually Blofeld gets caught, his neck gets caught in like a, a tree, a branch, and he, it, it's, he, he, it looks like he snapped his neck. But he actually comes back at the very end after they get married and they drive off and they do a drive-by shooting. And Emma Peel gets – Emma Peel, Diana Rigg gets shot. And it's it's a it's a downer, man. It's like, wow, you don't expect it. It just kind of happens at the end. And it's just there's a lot happening. There's a lot to process this, this one. It's like it's a different actor playing Bond, but the same actors in the in, in supporting cast. Um, the music, the opening's different. Um, there's a lot that's different, but there's a lot that's the same. Uh, oh, what else can I say about it? I just had something good I wanted to say about it, but then it just kind of... Maybe I'll 
I'll think of it later there. But this is, here he goes. This is Christopher Nolan's favorite Bond movie. That's interesting. And many references can be found in its in, in Inception. No kidding. He said, what I liked about it that we tried to emulate in this film is that there's a tremendous balance in that movie of action and scale and romanticism and tragedy and emotion. Yeah, that's a good point. There, there's a lot going on in it to process. Um, it's a well-shot film. There's some really beautiful shots of uh, where they're in a, like a little uh, stable house in the middle of a snowstorm. It's just it's done really well with the lighting, the cinematography there. Let's see here. Oh, this is funny. <laughs> There's so much great stuff. I could read this stuff all day. You know, let's see. George Lazenby attended the premiere after growing a full beard and shoulder-length shoulder hair. This was seen by some as a protest against the producers while trying to intentionally sabotage his future in the film franchise. Wow. Despite his contract for future Bond movies, Lazenby was having second thoughts as he he had difficulty keeping up with the rigors and demands of, of making and promoting the movie. At the same time, Lazenby's agents had him convinced that the Bond film franchise would soon lose its audience. Lazenby's relationships with producers uh, Albert R. Broccoli and Harry Saltzman had already started to become strained over the course of production. Wow, crazy. You know, it's just, I think of this this guy and it's like, you know, what other th films had he done after this? Nothing I can remember. I, I couldn't tell you off, off the top of my head. Maybe he did some more movies after this. I don't know what they were. I'd like to check out his filmography. Um, the only This is the only James Bond movie that was entirely set and filmed in Europe. Again, they play Baccarat in this one, uh, like in Casino Royale. Well, and uh, they play Baccarat, I think, in other Bond movies, too. I think in Doctor No, they're playing Baccarat. It says, in the novel in the casino where James Bond and, and Teresa, uh, Tracy Draco play Baccarat, uh, is is the Casino Royale where Bond makes annual visits to the grave of his old flame Vesper Lind nearby. Which happens in No Time to Die. Also in this... Um, There's not, Bond doesn't have the, it says it, I mean, let's see, for the opening sequence, railroad ties were buried under the sand to allow Bond's Aston Martin to drive on the beach. But there, he did, he, he has a different car in this one. It's, it seems like an American car in this one, but I could be wrong that he drives for most of the movie. Let's see here. 
<laughs> this is funny. There's a couple of things I'll, I'll read that I touched on earlier. Let's see. Well, first of all, it says here, um, um, Donald Pleasance was replaced by Ernest, it was replaced as Ernst Stavro Blofeld, Blofeld because producer Albert R. Broccoli and director Peter R. Hunt uh, felt he was unsuited to the more physical side of the role. I, again, I think that's just a cover because they wanted more suave. They did, and they, they didn't want to hurt Donald's feelings, probably. Let's see. Uh, Bond sliding along the ice while firing a machine gun in the attack of Piz, uh, Gloria uh, was a spur-of-the-moment idea from director Peter R. Hunt. And it's one of the things that stands out about this movie, that maneuver. It's very action hero, like before action heroes were were a thing. And it says, yeah, this is a funny part. While cracking open a safe in a Swiss lawyer's office, James Bond reads a copy of Playboy magazine. This is a nod to the fact that on Her Majesty's Secret Service first appeared in Playboy on Her Majesty's Secret Service was the first of Ian Fleming's James Bond novels to be serialized in the magazine, appearing in the May 63 issue of Playboy. Boy, that's an inside uh, joke. It was followed by a serialized, shortened version of the novel, You Only Live Twice, not the movie version, in the April 1964 issue. Uh, The issue in this movie is February 1969, uh, featuring centerfold, centerfold Lori Minsoni, or Minconi, I'd say Minsoni. Uh, the cover of the magazine and the top part of her in the centerfold can be seen. Let's see here. Here we go. This I touched upon this earlier. Let's see. The uh, first Bond movie since Russia with Love to use an instrumental theme over the opening titles. The decision to forego the usual song was prompted by the conclusion that any lyric composition that attempted to include the full title of this movie would be awkward. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a challenge. Just to, to work in uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, and at best sound like a humorous Gilbert and Sullivan song, which would be inappropriate for the film fan- franchise. As of 2015, no other movie in the franchise since has done so. Yeah, exactly. It's what makes this an oddball. Definitely uh, stands out. Let's see. Willie Bogner performed some spectacular skiing feats for the filming of chase sequences for this movie. These included skiing backwards downhill uh, with a handheld camera, sometimes placing it between his legs, being towed towards uh, towed behind a bobsled along the bobsled course. Yeah, bobsled. Yeah, not toboggan. Bobsled. 
Sorry, I meant to say bobsled earlier. The chase scene. Timothy Dalton uh, was offered the part of James Bond at, uh, let's see, but turned it down, uh, feeling that at 22 he was too young, and relatively uh, inexperienced to take on, to take on the role. So I I guess you're saying at the time. And this was 1969. Uh, let's see, he was 22 at the time, I guess. That's what they're implying. Uh, he was too young and relatively inexperienced to take on the role. Dalton played Bond in The Living Daylights, 1987, and License to Kill, 1989. Let's see here. Oh, this was interesting. Yeah, there's an avalanche that Blofeld activates in this near, you know, towards the end of the movie, kind of. And um, let's see. Every year, the Swiss Army dynamites certain dangerous mountainsides to remove the threat of avalanches. As the storyline called for such an avalanche, the production crew worked alongside the army in scouting an appropriate site for filming. Having chosen one, they were dismayed to discover that the avalanche occurred naturally before the crew could get there to film it. So the resulting one seen in the movie is a combination of stock footage, ah, special effects, and a clever use of close-ups and sound. I was going to say, man, I'm like, that's incredible to get an avalanche, you know, in this movie. Like, how did they pull that off? Did they do it on purpose? Activate the avalanche? It's like, yeah, that's pretty cool that it's stock footage. It's pretty seamless. Uh, special effects and the clever use of close-ups and sound. See, although George Lazenby made only one James Bond movie, despite being offered seven, a seven-movie contract, he made two appearances as James Bond. This was his first. The second was in The Return of the Man from Uncle. Wow. Uh, that's interesting. Let's see. The 15 Years Later Affair, 1983, where he helped Napoleon Solo and uh, Ilya Nikovich uh, Kuryakin in a street fight from his car. Uh, his character is called only JB, but it's clear he's meant to be Bond. Uh, the 15 later years later affair. I never even heard of that one. This was the longest Bond movie of the 20th century, uh, of the 20th century at 142 minutes. It was exceeded by the 21st century, by, in the 21st century, by holding the record for about 37 years, until the release of Casino Royale, which clocked in at 144 minutes. Spectre, 148 minutes, and No Time to Die, 163 minutes. Wow. Huh. <laughs> 
<laughs> there's a funny part where there's a, I think Bond is out. I, I think he gets, he evades by skiing and everything, and he he like I think I think he slides and he, he lands and he gets back up and there's a Saint Bernard coming towards him. It says. Bond's line to the St. Bernard about going to get the brandy was improvised by George Lazenby. Yeah, because I remember in cartoons, they always showed a St. Bernard with a little uh, barrel around its neck. And I, always, I think it always had, like, alcohol in it, but that yeah, that was a good line. That was funny. Good job, George. There's a funny part. Um, there's a funny part where um, what was it? It has something to do with Bullfeld. I had it and I lost it. <laughs> God, it seems to be the theme tonight. Dang it. Yeah, I can't think of what. Dang it. Well, let me just go into. Let me just see the next one. See. Um, holy crud. Here we go. During filming, George Lazenby uh, was fooling around on horseback and caused uh, Bernard Lee, who played M. To fall onto a fence and tear his leg open. Ouch! As no doctor was available, the local vet stitched up the gash. Dang. Whew. Yeah, because they're kind of in a remote area. Yeah, it doesn't say much about Connery, uh, why he was taking a break. Uh, it says George Lazenby is the only actor to get a Golden Globe nomination for playing James Bond. That's incredible. Oh, uh, because the new net, I think he got one because he's the most promising, promising new talent. That's why he got it. But uh, let's see here. Final time until, for your eyes only, that James Bond would be seen tossing his hat. He does it twice in this movie. The ritualistic one uh, in Miss Moneypenny's office and then again at the wedding ceremony. Yeah, I think he throws it He throws it to her before he gets into the car. It's a nice touching scene. I like, I like it. And the actress that plays Moneypenny really sells that. And then her heart, like her heart's breaking as he drives off, uh, being married there. Let's 
let's see here. I think I'm going to wrap this one up because it's just I could go on too long. And I know I'm leaving some stuff out. But I enjoyed this one. Again, it's a little wonky. It's neat. It adds to the mythos of, of the character. Um, check it out if you haven't. Uh, I got the DVD on Amazon. Get a good deal on it for about 10 bucks. It's a special edition. Animated menus and everything. And it's got a cool behind-the-scenes... Uh, cool behind-the-scenes uh, story about how they picked Lazenby out and his background. It's just really interesting that they include this stuff. So it's each one of these movies, it's like a, a little film school. So I'm glad I'm, I'm buying all these now, finally. It's, I've always kind of wanted to watch all these movies uh, sequentially. And uh, it's it's been a fun experience so far. So check it out on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Not as bad as you think pretty actually pretty good for someone whose first movie role in a major character <laughs> but interesting the behind the scenes stuff of just like him pulling these little things not sure about being bond after being you know you get offered this kind of a role would you turn it down would you turn down the next seven movies of a pretty much guaranteed awesome paycheck and fame and everything and he it, the his agent was all unsure about where the franchise was going and like wow it's crazy all that the head things all the head trips that uh can happen as an actor i guess and all the uncertainty um thanks for listening i'll see you guys back here for uh the next uh james bond will return Sean Connery will return in Diamonds Are Forever. So I'm looking forward to reviewing that one. Thanks for listening. We have all the time in the world Just for love, nothing more, nothing less Only Only love.